Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 7. And I'll be reading verses 18, well, verses 19 through 24. The Gospel of John, verses 19 through 24. Hear the word of God. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Amen. So far... In this chapter, we've seen that Jesus came to do his father's will. When his brothers encouraged him to go down with their family in a huge caravan into the city, he said, my time has not yet come. It's not time for for me to appear and to present myself at this feast in this way. We also saw that Jesus didn't come to teach his own will. Whatever he wanted, his will in line with the Father's will is what he came to teach. Therefore, he said in verse 17, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. So Jesus came to do the Father's will, and Jesus came to teach the Father's will, his doctrine. But when Jesus comes to do this, Jesus also comes to reveal religious hypocrisy. And he does this, I I mean, um, I used to work in pest control. And uh, when people had fleas, one of the things that we would do is we would keep these long white socks in our trucks. And uh, when they had carpets, what you do is you take these socks and you put them on and you'd walk in the house. It's white socks and then you'd have all these little Fleas, and you can tell how many fleas, you know, just about how bad the problem was by the number of fleas that jumped on you as you trekked through the room. So you know what kind of products you needed to use or whatever. And Jesus came preaching the truth, right? He was, his doctrine was as white as those socks, right? And what it does, what it did was, what his preaching did, what his person did was it just brought out all of the religious hypocrisy in the nation of Israel. You think of Malachi when when the Lord says, behold, I will send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and then suddenly the Lord will come. And what happens when he comes? 
the people reject him. They don't want anything to do with him. Why? Because Jesus is constantly pointing to their religious hypocrisy. He, does, he is not afraid of their faces. He's not afraid of their threats. He's not worried about any of those things. What he is worried about, what is all-consuming for Christ is doing the Father's will, teaching the Father's will. And in doing this, the effect is religious hypocrites are exposed, and they hate it. They absolutely hate the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Look at the occasion, uh, just as a um, sort of a comparison here. In Mark chapter 7, I want to read this passage in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, the, the, okay, so um, you have uh, Ezra and Nehemiah bring the people back into the land. Right? And one of the biggest problems that the people had was their lack of, a lack of Sabbath keeping. If you read the prophets, this was a big deal. They're constantly preaching about the people violating the Sabbath. If you remember in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there were foreigners that would actually come into the city on the Sabbath and sell stuff. And they had these guys basically kicked out of the city and told them, if you come back, we're going to kill you. And if we catch any of you buying from them, we're going to put our hands on you. Right? There, there was this, um, just a, a disregard for the Sabbath. But what arose from that wasn't a right view of the Sabbath, was legalism. Because the people's heart, even though they came back from captivity, their heart wasn't right. And on top of that, what the Pharisees and the scribes did was they added a bunch of man-made traditions. Their, their, their thought may have been pure at first, but it got corrupted really fast. And this was their thinking. Okay, we have uh, the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's the, let's say that's the bullseye. And we need to keep the Ten Commandments. But um, to help the people keep the Ten Commandments, what we should do is we should make a list of rules sort of to protect the Ten Commandments so that it's like a first line of defense you know, you can't do, let's say, uh, you can't pick up anything that weighs over 30 pounds on Sunday because that's considered work, and then if you work, you'd break the Sabbath, right? Now, but you could carry something around in your own house on the Sabbath, but you can't carry it outside your house. So they had all these traditions, and what they thought they were doing was they were keeping the people from sinning. And at first, they might have just been suggestions, but eventually they became law. And here's one example of these kinds of traditions from Mark 7. The scribes, excuse me, the, the Pharisees and some of the scribes came to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hands, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. These guys, they worked for the CDC or something like that, or the who. <laughs> for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. Right? 90% uh, <laughs> um, holding the traditions of the elders. 
So th this wasn't, this, the issue here, of course, it, it wasn't uh, cleanliness, right? It's not like you're out working on your motor and your wife calls you, hey, sandwich upstairs, and, and oh, so you wash your hands. That wasn't it. This had to do with ritual cleansing. And this kind of ritual cleansing was just a tradition of the elders. It's not rooted in Scripture. There's no command to do it the way that they were exercising it here in the Bible. When they come from the marketplace, and here's all the instances in which they would do it. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? This, this is the attitude of the vast majority of churches. They've just got a bunch of things that they do because that's what they do. Right? They just dooby dooby do. <laughs> the, and um, when you touch any one of their idols, they get in a fuss. There's a, just a huge, there's a problem, right? Because the... the this is what we do as a church. This, this is what identifies us. This is where we draw the source of our identity and who we are is from our traditions. So Jesus was understanding and, you know, he let them continue to hold to their traditions. No, listen to what he says to them. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You see that? It wasn't that Jesus is a rude person. You have to remember, they're coming with a particular attitude to Jesus. The, these men are not asking nicely and gently. They're, this is an accusation. Y'all aren't face, faithful to God because you don't keep our traditions. And Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. Why? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the command of God, you hold the tradition of men. And that is exactly what was happening in the Gospel of John also. They're laying aside God's commands. And what they're doing is that they're holding up a tradition, and this was a, it was a tradition that even it came from God, the one that they're holding up, which is circumcision. So let's, let's turn there. Let's turn back to John, and now we're going to see this discussion that takes place. John chapter 7. Jesus says to them, 19... Did not Moses give you the law? And here what he is making reference to is the Ten Commandments. Particularly now, what he has in view is the Sabbath. But Moses gave you the law, yet none of you keep the law. Well, what's he talking about here? It's not the fact that they want to murder him. That's not it. This is the issue. 
Look at John chapter 5. It's not that they wanted to kill him. It's the reason they wanted to kill him. Listen to it. John chapter 5 verse, verse 15 and through 16. After Jesus uh, heals this man who was lame for, I think it says 30 years in the text, but for most of his life he was lame. Jesus meets the man and tells him, I'm the person who heal you, sin no more lest something worse happen to you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. That was the issue. The issue was that he had made this man whole on the Sabbath. This guy's a Sabbath breaker unbelievable. Can you believe it? He's preaching the gospel. He's raising, not yet, but he's, he's raising up people who were lame and he's giving sight to the blind and he's catch, casting out demons and nobody, nobody ever preached a sermon like this man. But could you believe he has the gall to violate our traditions? Well, the way they would say it is, he has the gall to violate the commands of God, these holy words handed down to us from Moses. Look at verse 18, also in John chapter 5. It wasn't only that he did these works, but it was also what he taught. He says that God is his father, making himself equal with God. John 5, 18. They rejected Jesus' works and Jesus' words. And they did this because his works and his words exposed their religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrites hate the grace of God in works and words. When you do something that uh, is, so here, here are some things that are gracious, right? You have a person, right, who uh, is being unfaithful uh, to their commitments to a local church, right? They're just unfaithful. They don't come, they come late, they just no commitment to the local church. It would be gracious to say to that person, you know, you're being really unfaithful to your commitments to the local church. Local church is really important for your soul. A, a Christian person, you know, they, they might get their cackles up at, you know, at first because you, you know, you're poking them and they don't like it. But eventually what will happen is the cackles will go down and they're like, you know what, you're right. I should be faithful. You know what the unbeliever, the person who is devoid of the grace of God will do? How dare you? Yeah, how dare you judge me? You don't know all of the hundreds of thousands of problems that I have that are greater than all of the problems of every other person in the world who attends church. Why are you judging me? It's hateful and harmful. They hate that. 
They hate the grace of God. So, when Jesus is doing these works, displaying the grace of God and teaching in a way that reveals the grace of God, these religious hypocrites hate it. And we should be reminded that the same will happen to us. When we do things as individuals and as a church corporately that display God's grace in this community, whether our words or our works, the people in this community who are devoid of the grace of God will hate us. That's, just, that's what's going to happen. Now some, to some, as Paul says, they will smell the aroma of Christ and they'll say, what's going on there is, it's, you know, it's appealing, right? Others, they, they smell that aroma, they smell what we're cooking and it stinks like death and they don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus, Jesus told his disciples that this would be the case. In John 15, beginning at verse 17, he says to them, These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, now hold, hold that, because it's important for what, what comes after. Or let me just say it this way. The, the reason why he gives this command for them to love one another is because other people are not going to love you. That's his point. It's like, if you guys don't learn how to love each other, n nobody at all is going to love you. <laughs> because the only person, uh, uh, you probably have a relative like this, that you love them, right? Because they're your relative. But nobody else loves this person. They're just unlikable, you know? And Jesus is, in a sense, communicating this to his disciples. He's like, look, you guys need to love each other. Because the world... They're not going to love you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 18. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's the issue. Is you're mine. And since you're mine, you reflect my image to the world. And since the world hated me, that's how it's going to respond to you. It's going to hate you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. Now listen to this. If they kept my words, they will keep yours also. Remember what I said before, it really has to do with what Jesus teaches, his, his, his teaching and his works. That's the issue. If you're a, a Christian and you don't say anything to anybody, people are, at work are going to like you. And if you don't do anything that displays the grace of God, they're going to generally like you. And then if they find out that you're a professing Christian, they're going to say, this is the kind of Christian we like. It looks nothing like Jesus. Right? The guy, I never sit, even simple things, right? I never see this guy sit down and pray for his lunch. I like that in a Christian. He's not offensive to me. He doesn't give me a hard time about anything. I can come into his cubicle or into his workspace and talk, you know, run my wife through the mud and tell dirty jokes. And he doesn't laugh, laugh, but he grins and giggles and 
I can call her on the phone and gossip with her. And, you know, she's not judgmental. She, she, we pray afterwards. It's very encouraging. <laughs> no, but when you speak the words of Christ and you do the works of Christ, works that display the grace of God, the world will hate you. They will hate you. But all these things they will do to you, verse 21, for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. Right? You have to remember, it's not because you're a jerk at work. Right? If you're a jerk to people and they don't like you, that's not Christian persecution. You're just a jerk. Here, this has special reference to speaking the words of Christ and doing the works of Christ. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. For he who hates me hates my father also. He's not saying that they would be sinless, but with regards to this particular kind of sin. The reject, outright and open rejection of the Messiah. If I had not done among them the works, you see, now he picks up on the works, words and works, the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. His words and works revealed their religious hypocrisy. And when we speak the words of God and do the works of God, the world will hate us. That's why we need to learn how to love each other. Because in this world, we will have tribulations. Back to John chapter 7. So, in verse 19, did, you not, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Of course, they believed, according to their traditions, that what he had done was violated the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying, you guys break the Sabbath. What are you, what are you, what are you harassing me for? The people answered and said, you have a demon. They insult him and lie. You, who is seeking to kill you? You're, cra you're, you're paranoid, Jesus. Nobody wants to kill you. They are acting like their father, the devil. This is, this is what religious hypocrites do, right? They, they, they try to spin it around. No, you're, you're the bad person person. You, you guys are the evil people. We're very nice. We're, we're very kind and gracious. And actually, you're the one who's persecuting us. You must have a, a spirit of division or, you know, some tomfoolery like that they'll try to pull. You're the bad ones. We're actually the good ones. But they're acting like the devil. Their desire is to do their father's will. They want to do what the devil does. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He plotted, he wanted to, he wanted Adam and Eve to die and the human race to die with them. That's what he wanted. He does not stand for the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. The devil is devoid of all truth. Therefore, his children are devoid of all truth. They use it, they pervert it, they twist it, they mangle it, they make it into sausage, right? But they don't love the truth. When they speak, they speak of their own resources, what Jesus says in John 8. This idea of their, their own resource or of their own kind, this is the way that unbelievers speak. Is uh, This is the same word that it's used in Luke 6.44 where he says, six, Luke 6.44, Jesus says, for you will know them by, uh, you will know a tree, every tree, by its own fruit. If you saw an apple tree bearing oranges, you would say, there's something going on here. Right? This is a strange occurrence. If we showed up next Sunday and there were oranges on these trees out here, it would be a miracle, right? We would call the news. <laughs> when religious hypocrites speak the truth, they're apple trees bearing oranges. It don't, it don't happen. That's not of their kind. And the reason they're doing this, the reason they're lying like this, is because Jesus came into the world with a specific purpose. John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, he says, he who sins is of the devil. That's what they're doing here. They're lying. Who's seeking to kill you? You have a demon. They insult him. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is destroying the devil's puppet kingdom in Israel as he comes preaching. And the religious hypocrites, those who are sons of their father, they absolutely hate it. Whenever reform, reformation comes to a particular age in history or to a particular church, the religious hypocrites absolutely hate it. They can't stand it because they had their own thing set up. You know, they were milking the system and getting glory from people and they were being exalted and praised and basically, you know, they're like uh, ticks, you know, they're sucking the blood out of the thing, killing it, getting it all sick. And now somebody's, you know, putting a lighter to them. And they don't like it. So here they slander Jesus. They don't back down, right? Now Jesus says to them in verse 21, I did one work and you all marvel. I did, I did one thing. I did one thing. I he and he has special reference, of course. I healed this one guy on the Sabbath, and you all marvel. Now here, the word, this word marvel, when it's used in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the Synoptic Gospels, in those contexts, it's generally with reference to the miracles of Jesus, to his signs and wonders, and it means like astonishment, like wow, this is unbelievable. But when John uses it, it has a different meaning. The reaction 
in John is favorable or unfavorable, and it depends on the context. And here what Jesus means is not favorable. It's not that they were like, oh, wow. It means something else. So you could say that when the word is used, it describes the impact that Jesus' miracles have on those who are watching. There's an example of this use in the Old Testament. So um, actually a lot of places in the Old Testament where this language is used and it means to be appalled or horrified where this particular term is used. If you remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, parts of it in Aramaic, and then particularly for the Jews of this time, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the, the language, the vocabulary from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, is brought into the New Testament. And the word here that Jesus uses is used in the Old Testament. And it's used of the signs and wonders God does and the horror and how the people who see them abhor the signs and wonders. So for example, in Habakkuk 1.5, you read this. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. And that's the word, be utterly astounded. And what it means there is be horrified. Be appalled at what I'm about to do. He's going to bring judgment upon the people. This is, um, one translator translates the word this way. This verse here that we're looking at in John, John chapter um, uh, 7.21. This is the offense which I take at you, that you do not know whence he is. Oh, excuse me, that, that's in a different place, and it's, a, it's in John when he heals the blind man, I'm sorry. Uh, in chapter 9. And... Uh, Verse uh, 30, 930. This is that same word, and you can translate it this way. It says here, this is a marvelous thing. Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, Yet he opened my eyes. This is because they were reviling the, this blind man. They were just going back and forth with him, basically trying to get him to say, Jesus didn't do it. And you can translate it this way. This is the offense which I take at you, that you do not know where he is from who opened my eyes. The word can mean an offense, something that is appalled, that is abhorrent. Another translation, this is another translation, puts it this way. This is a strange thing. What Jesus is saying here in John 7 21, when he uses this language and he says, You all marveled, what he means is, You're all offended. 
But look at, now look at the context itself. He says in verse 23, he says in verse 23, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? That phrase interprets the word marvel. They were angry with him. So from the Old Testament, the use of this word in particular context, in uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word means to be appalled. They were appalled at Jesus that he did this. They were offended. They were angry with Jesus from other contexts. That's how the word is used. And here, specifically, when Jesus translates it, they were offended. When you teach the Bible and do what the Bible commands, people will be offended. Particularly if obedience to the word messes with people's traditions. They really hate that. Think about it. These, the, the Jewish people, right, to take them as an example, during the Jewish people during Jesus' day, they had so bought into their traditions, right, that when Pontius Pilate is crucifying Jesus, they say to Jesus, or the, uh, the, they say to Pontius Pilate, let his blood be upon our heads. We want to be guilty for his death. That's how much we hate him. But what was he doing? He was preaching the word of God, and he was doing the works of God. And they utterly hated him for it. They hated him so much that they would rather have him die and be guilty for his death than to believe what he said. And this is the attitude of religious hypocrites. You, you know, religious hypocrites can be nice to you too. Like they'll smile at church, they'll shake your hand, they'll, you know. But, but that's as far as it goes. He says to them, Moses, therefore, and he's, he's, he's developing his argument against them now. Verse 22, he says, Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, or the practice of circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. From Abraham, of course. Remember, circumcision was given to Abraham first. And then from Abraham, that tradition was passed on. And Jesus brings this up and uh, to, to address their hypocrisy. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. You guys have, you have a tradition. And this is actually a biblical tradition. And it's a good biblical tradition. And this good biblical tradition is grounded in the grace of God. Matter of fact, this good biblical tradition is grounded in prophecies that say, I'm coming one day. And you will circumcise somebody. To keep this tradition, you will circumcise somebody on the Sabbath. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to circumcise people on the Sabbath. That's not his point here. What he's doing is contrasting the way that they interpret the Sabbath commandment to accuse him of sin. And he is exposing their hypocrisy. 
There are two things going on here. Their misunderstanding of the Sabbath and their hypocrisy. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath? God gave the people the Sabbath as an opportunity to serve him. And the Sabbath commandment is grounded in two truths. Who knows what they are? Two truths the Sabbath commandment is grounded in. They both end with Asian. No, they don't end with Asian. Yeah, Shion, T-I-O-N. Creation, redemption. Creation. In Exodus chapter 20, when the command is first given, God says this in Exodus 20:11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Right? So it's tied to creation. But it's also tied to Israel's redemption. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when the command is restated in verse 15, he, Moses writes this. And remember, Moses wrote 20 and uh, Deuteronomy and uh, Exodus. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Creation, redemption. That's why they keep the Sabbath. Because God made the world in six days and rested one. And because God delivered them from bondage, therefore they rest. What's interesting is that the Sabbath was kept before the giving of the law. In Exodus chapter 16, you have an example of that, but we'll overlook that for now. So, so, so this is why the law was given. It was a reminder that God was the creator and sustainer of all things, right? So you're resting. You, you, you have full confidence and trust in God. He can keep this thing going, right? And I can take a break. And my dog, donkeys and dogs and cows and whatever else I got, they can all take breaks and my manservants and woman servants and everybody. We all, we're all resting because the God who created us and created this world can sustain us. And we're going to worship him on this day. The second reason was because he redeemed us. He freed us from slavery. And we're going to celebrate our redemption, the fact that God has freed us from sin and unrighteousness, and we will worship Him for this. But that is not how the Jews in Jesus' day interpreted the Sabbath commandment. They believed that it was an oppressive thing, or the way that they interpreted and applied it, it was an oppressive thing because they had so... uh, distorted it through their traditions. And think about this. If Jesus had a conversation with a lawyer and he asked the lawyer this question. Or the lawyer asked him really, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Or how do you interpret the law? And the lawyer says this to Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said, you got it. That's it. That, that is the summary of the Ten Commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor. That's a summary of those Ten Commandments. You want to know if you're keeping the Ten Commandments? Do you love God and do you love your neighbor? And what Jesus is doing is he's pointing out their hypocrisy. He says in verse 23, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Unbelievable. This guy was crippled and he can walk now. uh, Why are you angry? Well, the issue isn't the Sabbath. The issue is their disposition to the grace of God, to seeing the works of God. They're showing that they're not children of God. They don't understand the ways of God. You've got to have... What what happens with religious hypocrites is they've got to have particular events, particular accommodations, particular things that they use or believe worship is. And what happens is when, when God comes, right? When, when God comes in a John the Baptist, when God comes in the flesh as Jesus Christ, when Paul the apostle preaches, when Martin Luther starts preaching, and not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther the reformer, starts preaching, Calvin starts preaching, what happens? They destroy those idols, that's because that's what these things are. They smash them. They break them to pieces. They don't care about them. They have, no, they have no reverence for those things that were keeping God's people from worshiping him. Jesus has no respect for religious, hypocritical traditions. He's got no respect for them. He doesn't care about them. Because they become impediments to the people of God. They keep them from doing what Jesus says in verse 24. Do not, he says, do not judge according to appearance, to the way that things seem to you, but judge with righteous judgment. Use fair scales here. That's what Jesus is saying. And that is what they refuse to do. They believe that their traditions were greater than the grace that Christ was showing in healing this man. We need to ask ourselves, well, first and foremost, am I, do, do I take offense at the preaching of the word of God and at the works of God? Do I personally take offense at those things? If I do, particularly when they touch upon my traditions, I've got some repenting to do. The second thing that we need to ask ourselves is, um, how can we, and this is sort of corporate and individual, we can ask this question, how can we completely destroy all of the traditions that are keeping us from worshiping God rightly? There's good traditions, right? Jesus isn't going around and just messing with all the traditions, that's not, his, that's not what he's doing. But when he preaches the word, and that's not even his primary intention, is that when he's preaching the word of God and when he's doing the works of God, their traditions run up against that and they hate it. 
right? Well, well, really what you could say is his word smashes and destroys and obliterates their traditions, and they absolutely hate it. What are the traditions, what are the things that we are holding on to that are keeping us from worshiping God, that prevent us from worshiping him rightly? There are many things in this culture, in this world that could do that. But what we have to do is we have to judge, as Jesus says, not according to appearance, but with just and righteous judgment, according to what this Bible teaches, your Bible teaches. And then we can, with a good conscience, receive those things Christ says and uphold good traditions that honor God and don't impede our worship. So brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's pray that God would help us to this end. Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we uh, genuinely do marvel. We do not take offense. We are not angry when Christ comes and smashes our idols and our traditions. Help us, Lord, uh, to cultivate um, a good and healthy, critical spirit that examines uh, all of our own traditions and the things that we do. Maybe it's even things that we may even do on the Lord's Day, Lord, that may impede us, that might keep us from worshiping you rightly. Come, Lord, by your Spirit and with your Word and help us to discern, help us to judge according to righteous judgment. In Christ's name we pray, amen.